Hi, I'm Mark Iskwitz, Executive Editor at MMM, and I want to welcome you all to this week's episode of the MMM Podcast, which is being recorded live at MMM's Transforming Healthcare Conference at the Edison Ballroom in New York City, May 8, 2019. And our guest today is Megan Coder, Executive Director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Hey, Megan. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for coming in for this. We do appreciate it. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. I also want to thank our producers, Carrie Gavin and Mickey Brown. I'm flying solo today from a hosting perspective. We're streaming, live streaming this, and the replay will be posted tomorrow to your podcasting service of choice. Uh, so that's our story, and now we're going to hear Megan's story. Megan, so you're Executive Director of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. Uh, talk about the mission of the, of the Alliance and its membership. Indeed. So the Alliance came together in 2017 as a way to really create a definition and a framework and foundation for this new industry. So what is a digital therapeutic? If you call yourself one, what should you adhere to? What are the best practices in terms of clinical evidence and evaluation and regulatory oversight? And then patient-centered design and things like that. So our goal really is focused on getting the right tools to patients, providers, and payers to really recognize, evaluate, and implement digital therapeutic tools. Okay, great. And you have membership companies from the uh, startup world um, as well as uh, from big pharma, large pharma companies, don't you? We do. So we have about 30 member companies representing 10 countries, and about 60% of our members are digital therapeutic manufacturers themselves. Um, and then the rest of the companies are the large pharma life science companies uh, with some variation of membership with some academic groups now and uh, actually clinical practitioners, too, who are engaging with us. Okay, great. So so the um, the job really, job one, is, is that foundation, as you put it, laying the foundation for digital therapeutics and for promoting clarity uh, amongst the uh, the end user, which is the patient. Precisely. Okay. Well great. said. Thank you. Uh, I learned from the best. Uh, <laughs> and I, I want to talk about your background a little bit. Okay. You have a really interesting background. You're, you're a pharmacist by training, right? And you're an MBA. You spent some time in Washington, D.C. Tell us about how you arrived at, at this position <laughs> from childhood. It's the cutest <laughs> route that we took to get here. Uh, but it all worked out perfectly in the end. Uh, pharmacist by training. I have a clinician's background, which I really think is valuable in this industry. Really love technology. And when I found a way to eventually merge the two, it was just too perfect to pass up. So to find this company, group of companies coming together to do something with such a mission and a purpose got my attention immediately. And that's why I dove in as quickly as I could. How would you compare the worlds of Washington, you know, DC where you were, you know, in the policy area to now your transition working on the industry side? What what's, would you say has been the biggest shift? So when I first worked in DC, uh, I was accustomed to the facts and pen and paper world. And then when I actually moved to San Francisco for a short time, I was in this tech startup world. And that was a whole new revolution that I've never experienced before. What I like about this world is it actually merges them because we're looking at companies that really treat regulatory validation with a respect and a high priority. So there is that respect for the regulatory perspective, but there's also this push to get products out there as quickly as you can in a way that is meaningful and impactful, but still has integrity to the product development process. Sure. So the, the regulatory pathway is, is really important, like, as you say, for you know, validating the technology in the eyes of the end user, right? It's kind of like the good housekeeping stamp of approval, if you will. Most people recognize FDA approval as the gold standard. It is. And uh, we're looking at this internationally, too. So we're looking at what the NHS is doing, EMA, PMDA, mm -hmm. uh, Health Canada. Uh, but why this is important is if you have a product that's actually making the claim to manage, prevent, or treat a disease, then that takes you to a whole new category of regulatory oversight and clinical validation and all of that. So 
we're not looking at the peer play adherence products or diagnostics or even telehealth. When we're talking about this, we're looking at those that are really making claims alongside other medications and medical treatments. So that's why you have this blending of the technology side coming together with the regulatory side and making something that's really cool to see. Yeah, right. So, so it's products that are making claims um, out there, which um, uh, you know is why we're interested in it uh, from a clinical perspective for, for sure, uh, because these these things are, are potential therapeutics. Precisely. Um, so let's talk about definitions and kind of get that out of the Love way to. a little bit. Uh, so digital therapeutics is not uh, chip in a pill. Right. That is correct. As much as I love and respect the digital medicine perspective, that is not really what my main focus is. So we're looking at products that are actually using software to deliver an intervention directly to a patient, and that interaction and delivery has to really make the claim to prevent, manage, or treat an actual medical disease or disorder. Mm -hmm. So. More of that digital medicine side that you're speaking of talks more to an adherence perspective as opposed to actually delivering an intervention to treat or influence the diabetes. Um, that's the software-driven component. Right. So it could be a little confusing, right. but there is actually a line there. Right. So the semantics are very important here. Uh, so we're talking uh, primarily app-based medicines. Um, you know, could it also be devices combined with other support to deliver healthcare? Most definitely. So while digital therapeutics are separate from wearables or separate from telehealth or even electronic health records, they're able to engage and integrate with all of those. Mm -hmm. So digital therapeutics are a unique subset of products under the digital health umbrella, but they're able to engage and interact with all the different umbrellas and subsets under digital health too. So mm -hmm. cool universe and ecosystem when you see it all together, even though we're really defining this one subset mm -hmm. through DTA. So it includes like in, uh, connected inhalers and smart pens and Precisely. That kind of thing. Right. Okay. Great. Um, and uh, it was helpful to hear what it's, what it's not and uh, to help put in perspective what it is. Great. Um, let's talk about some of the general trends, you know, that, that okay. you're seeing, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you're not really concerned so much with, you know, acceptance amongst the managed care set. That's not really your primary focus. Is that correct? So my main goal is to really focus on providing tools and resources to the patients, healthcare providers, payers, and the regulatory agencies. Mm -hmm. So managed healthcare, yes, okay. that is definitely okay. a concern of ours. Right. Um, if you're going to be the end user or recipient or evaluator of a product, then that's who I care about. Okay, okay. So how would you say that, uh, you know, would you say the payer audience is coming around to uh, reimbursing for digital therapeutics? Not a complicated question at all. Good thing. Um, yeah, I think we will be seeing more of that. Uh, I think it's on the behalf of the industry to prove that there are outcomes already mm -hmm. and show how it's going to influence specific patient populations, um, show how it engages in the clinical guideline process and can be integrated into the workflows. Those are things we need to do. The payer community is so important in this, and we want to work alongside them and provide the resources they need to actually understand how to, again, recognize, evaluate, and implement these digital therapeutic products. How about amongst the general population? Oh, we, so we are at the f forefront of actually creating a new category of medicine. So to expect that everyone already knows who we are and what we're doing when this is still a relatively new thing for the trajectory we know it's going to have, uh, there's a lot of education and partnership and engagement. So we need to really work alongside the patients, providers, and payers to understand what are their needs, what are they asking, how do we actually educate and provide what they need to be able to do what they need to do in mm -hmm. order to actually use these in a meaningful way. 
And you could could have all the reimbursement coverage in the world, but if you don't have the doctor, you know, prescribing it, um, it could, you know, be for naught. How are you educating doctors about these? So we actually are going to be working alongside different associations, alliances also, to help educate their groups. Um, one of our members is actually uh, the Association of Diabetes Educators. So we're working with them to see how can we best engage with their members. What resources do they need to actually educate the patients they're working with? Sure. So that will be one of those first steps. Um, we have a healthcare providers advisor group within DTA that just launched that has 15 individuals from Canada, UK, Australia, US coming together to talk about what their needs are and what they see the needs mm -hmm. are going forward yeah. so we can actually figure out how do we work with them because this all is about partnership at this point. Sure, I think doctors as a whole recognize you know, that medicine is becoming more digital and they um, you probably have heard a lot about this trend but they want evidence just like anybody else. And pharmacists will be prescribing these or dispensing, I apologize, maybe one day. Really? They will be dispensing these. Uh, huh. So there's another level too of looking at these will be in medication reconciliation and on formularies. What does that look like? What is an interaction between a drug and a digital therapeutic or interaction between a digital therapeutic and a digital therapeutic? Those are things that we're starting to realize. We should think about this pretty soon. Uh, Haymarket, which is the parent company of MMM, also okay. publishes the monthly prescribing reference, which is all of the drug-to-drug -drug interactions, counterindications. Oh, we so need to talk more now. We should probably integrate <laughs> digital therapeutics into that conversation. I see that happening actually in the near future, to be honest. Yeah. And um, what kind of clinician would be you know, prescribing these GPs, or it could be specialists? All has to be based upon their local prescribing or jurisdictions. So in the NHS in UK, it may look a little bit different than if it does in, in the United States versus in a state like Maine versus Idaho or New York. So I think we will see a variety of practitioners prescribing, but that will have to obviously be based upon their individual rights within their jurisdictions. And if the patient is taking, you know, like an RA drug, a specialty drug, would that, you know, a digital therapeutic get dispensed through a specialty pharmacy? Actually, specialty pharmacy dispensing is actually currently happening already. Wow. For digital therapeutics. Okay, no kidding. Wow, yeah. fascinating. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know this was a good idea to have you on this podcast. Um, oh, thank you. What would be? Uh, what's the primary concern amongst your members? Ah, oh. uh, this is me looking at a half full, half empty glass. I, there are many concerns, but there are also so many opportunities. When you're at the forefront of creating a new category of medicine, pretty much the world's your oyster for things that you have to accomplish. So. Looking at how do we make these meaningful to patients, that really is the main concern. And then I think everything will flow from there. Once we can show that a patient needs this, and here's how it treats their needs. These are things that could also be treating aspects of diseases that don't have medications right now for them, that there are no treatments. So there are, there are huge opportunities that right there alone. And then how do you get the providers engaged and the payers engaged and the regulatory agencies on board with this? Clinicians, guideline writers, all of it's an ecosystem. So rambling answer to really say there's a huge opportunity across the entire spectrum here. To get everybody on board. That's Everyone needs to be right. in on this. Right. right. Eventually. Sure. Um, we heard a lot about uh, today at the conference about how a lot of new digital health solutions are rooted in behavioral health and behavioral science. Um, would you say that behavioral science is driving a lot of 
uh, your members um, digital therapeutics? They are. Um, I don't want to get stuck in the category, though, of a digital therapeutics is just this or mm -hmm. just that. Um, I did a cross-reference of all the disease states our member companies are developing products for, and I think I came up with about 40-ish disease states that there are digital therapeutics in the process of being developed for. Sure. So we're looking at things from diabetes to multiple sclerosis to schizophrenia, uh, GI issues. Like it, it crosses the entire gambit of the medical field, so I don't want to just be, it's just a thing for this or that. Right, um, right. But it does do well in the behavioral aspect, uh, right. but there are other aspects too that digital therapeutics will excel into. Sure, sure. So they're not only in mental health or behavioral health, but they're for a whole Precisely. Uh, array. But the underlying um, science behind Precisely. is it really is. in behavioral uh, health, behavioral science techniques like, um, you know, motivational interviewing or, um, you know, uh, all, all of the, you know, um, behavior change, you know, methodologies that, that have been progressing for decades. Um, the vast majority, I will fully agree with you on that. Okay. Yes. Great. Um, Speaking of, uh, uh, well, preventive, preventive health, and another theme that we heard this morning uh, at the conference was um, that uh, digital health um, solutions are, um, I shouldn't use that word, solutions, but digital health tools um, are, are starting to go upstream uh, in the healthcare journey to more in the preventive space, so kind of using predictive analytics, AI, mm -hmm. to head off things like diabetes um, or uh, other conditions, you know, um, before they become, you know, chronic uh, conditions. Precisely. So, um, are, are your members, um, you know, in, in that playing in that in sort of preventive space yet, or is that kind of something in the future? Most definitely. So, there are actually four different categories of digital therapeutics on the market today. Some of them are in this addressing a medical condition space, mm -hmm. and those usually don't fall under the FDA regulatory enforcement at this point. But they are looking at precisely the issues you're speaking about there in terms of preventing diabetes or preventing insomnia from reaching its full potential. Um, but then, as soon as you cross over that border and start to claim you're going to treat an aspect or manage an aspect of that disorder or disease, then you get into, in the U.S. at least, the FDA's enforcement area. So there yeah. are a wide variety of digital therapeutics out there, and based upon the level of claim they have means it changes the level of risk the product may have, and therefore that then means the level of regulatory engagement and or clinical evaluation may need to change. Okay. Can you give me some numbers in terms of, say, how many of your members have FDA-approved products on the market? How many are in the process of registration, that kind of thing? You know, I should be able to give that to you. I'm actually undergoing that evaluation right now, okay. where we're looking at all of our member company products to see who's under development versus who's already on the market, sure. uh, where they all lay. So let's touch base on that a little bit later. Okay. I'll have much okay. more to say. Sure. You agree. Deal. Uh, now, I know you don't like to play favorites, but a couple of your members, I'm going to call it myself because I'm a journalist uh, okay. here in the room. Um, but, um, you know, you could just nod, you know, politely and say, you know, yes. Which will work like well that. for podcasts. Right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I know Palo Alto Biosciences was, I think, technically, you know, the first or one of the first to get FDA approval for their digital therapeutic um, in 2013. But it's more of device-based, whereas paratherapeutics, which came along in 2018, was, I think, the first uh, FDA-approved um, prescribed digital therapy, FDA-approved pres prescription digital therapeutic, as like to say. So slight nuance, uh, WellDoc was actually one of the first oh. out there. Uh, WellDoc, Propeller Health, and Palo Alto Health Sciences, to your point, were the original ones that were really the leaders in, from what I've seen so far <laughs> in the digital therapeutic space. Um, Pair, as you mentioned, did receive clearance uh, for the FDA for uh, substance abuse. So they're the first one 
that's prescribed for substance abuse specifically. Mm-hmm. Whereas WellDoc has been prescribed. Um, so there, there's a lot of nuances in this industry. But sure. yes, there sure. are many those who have been out there in the market for quite a few years showing actually really impressive clinical results. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many that are hitting the market now, receiving that FDA clearance. Um, and then let me tell you, there are many more to come. And uh-huh. I've really been impressed to see the levels and types of claims that these products are going to be attempting to make, but they're all undergoing that level of evidence right now to be able to prove that those claims are legitimate. Sure. And they're collecting their data through... Um, Actually, randomized control do. trials. Okay. Yeah. So we've gone on record as DTA to say, if you're going to be making that level of claim that is similar to any other medically validated therapy, you have to do a full randomized control trial on your product, um, in addition to other forms of outcomes and evidence, both on the pre-market and then the post-market real-world evidence perspective. Mm-hmm. So both are crucially important. Right. Okay. Okay. And I'm sure uh, they'll be using real-world real, evidence, RWE, to expand their labels eventually you know, when, they, when they get on market. Just like we're seeing that in regular pharmaceuticals too. Yep, and FDA has actually done a great job of working with these companies to figure out how to best enable them to use real-world evidence to eventually expand their claims as they're mm-hmm. able to do so. So, serious props to the FDA and their work on this. How helpful, speaking of the FDA, was the prior administration under Scott Gottlieb in sort of paving the way and getting the, the regular regulators on board with digital therapeutics? <laughs> I like that Gottlieb has his own administration now. But it felt like that. He yeah. did a fantastic job. Um, Jeff Sheeran has done an amazing job, but Cool Patel, um, their whole team has really been really forward thinking in this. Um, The IMDRF, it's an international body of regulatory agencies, they've put out this initial framework. Many other countries around the world are looking to implement it. The FDA has been really instrumental in leading that effort first. The pre-serve program, really well done. Um, But then also shout out to UK and the NHS and NICE side of looking at uh, digital therapeutic products and the evidence side in terms of the clinical and um, health economic outcomes. So it's been really interesting to see the FDA more leading the way at the um, software's medical device side with the PRESER program and then Mm -hmm. NHS and NICE really leading the way in terms of the health economic outcomes that need to be achieved to be implemented in their process. Right, right. And one of your members, Pear, was an early member of that PRESER program, I believe. They are. Alongside Apple and and some others. Indeed, yes. Yes, So that was was pretty impressive. Um, What's the future hold um, uh, for the space? Um, And uh, also, like, what, what marketing initiatives do you have planned in the next six months? So one of the things I struggle with the most is there have been a lot of media recently talking about how all digital health apps have no evidence and all digital health apps have no security. That is so not true. Um, when we're looking at the broader digital health and wellness space, that actually may be true. I'll, I'm not going to comment on that. But under the digital health umbrella sits digital therapeutics. And this is a category that's really come around the importance of saying evidence matters, security matters, patient privacy and consent matters. So. I think our efforts in the next six months really need to be to start to clarify, yes, there is this other realm of digital health that is important to the patient and the healthcare journey that they're on. But when you're looking at digital therapeutics, we are taking very seriously that perspective in terms of quality, security, privacy, consent, mm-hmm. evidence. Um, so that differentiation, I think, will be really crucial to ensure that digital therapeutics aren't just seen as a digital health app that has no concern for the patient privacy security or whatnot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so you know to lay some context on that you know we had um you know de-identified data is kind of the 
basis, the foundation, you know, okay. we're de developing a lot of insights from data, uh, but we're realizing that in this connected world, it only takes a few data points to connect data and to de-de-identify it, you know, after it's been de-identified. And HIPAA was kind of the foundation of protection of health care data. But, you know, do, do we need a new standard of health protection for, for, the, for, for this era uh, when people are going to be engaging more in digital health for, um, you know, which, which involves, you know, personal health information? Uh, so, so you see that as one of the biggest sort of, um, uh, you know, percept perceptual challenges that you're facing as, a, as, a, as an organization. That's interesting. Yeah, so GDPR on the European side, we've actually seen that being looked at by Canada um, uh, across Asia, actually, too. So we've mm -hmm. seen a rise in GDPR, which is a different variation of HIPAA that I think has a little bit more rigor to it, from my understanding. Um, and even within the industry, uh, we had a meeting yesterday where we talked about what is our code of ethics for the industry. And these are things that we want to say are really important to us, and we want to go on record as such. So. To your point, there's much more to be done here, but this isn't an area where we're taking um, patient information uh, for granted and assuming that, oh, it doesn't matter because it all does. And we have to very clearly distinguish what aspects of the data that a digital therapeutic company would um, would pull together. Where, what, how is that identified? How could it be used? And how can we ensure that the patients really have ownership and right of access to that and can consent away with aspects that they want to consent to? <laughs> sure. So um, privacy, data privacy, ensuring that um, or instilling that, you know, uh, confidence in the data privacy mm -hmm. and also getting people on board. You know, the, those are your two biggest, you know, challenges, yep. what it sounds like. Um, and then the cybersecurity side, looking at high trust or SOC 2 as certifications mm -hmm. that digital therapeutic companies should be getting. Mm -hmm. um, Security and privacy, while they go hand in hand, are two different things also. So we're trying to ensure that we look at those separately, realizing that they both have an impact on each other too. Okay, great. All right, so uh, now we'd like to switch gears a little bit and uh, enter something that we call the speed round. Oh, heavens. Okay. Yes. So uh, <laughs> um, uh, what are you reading these days? You know, I always get this question, and I never read anything. Um, <laughs> I am awful. Let me tell you, I was excited reading the nice guidelines for evidence for effectiveness. That is the excitement okay. level I have. I'm okay. sorry. No, that, that's cool. I, mean, <laughs> I, I was thinking it was going to be some kind of, you know, in, you know insider, you know, esoteric uh, B2B uh, you you know, guideline of some sort. You know, nice guidelines, apparently, and I'm ref guidelines let me tell you great reading exciting stuff yeah i'd like For to read the is. annotated version of that <laughs> uh, okay i know you spent some time in france you know i what, did what are your favorite spots in that country oh uh bordeaux is amazing saint emilion was beautiful um really it's just it's a fantastic country i can't speak the language to save my life but it is a beautiful amazing country and just for our listeners' benefit and my own, uh, what, what were you doing there? So I actually followed my husband for his job there, and that is where I was connected to a digital therapeutic company, and this is where I was really pulled into this idea of what the Alliance could do. Right, right, nice. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Megan. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to be here, and I'm so glad to be a part of this conference today, too. Great, yeah, uh, likewise. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, please subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice um, and uh, visit the website for um, uh, other great coverage of the Transforming Healthcare Conference and also you can follow along with the Twitter feed, the LinkedIn feed, Facebook and Instagram, um, etc. Um, and um, that's it for us. Uh, this is Mark Iskowitz for Mickey Brown, Carrie Gavitt, Megan Coder signing off from the Edison Ballroom in New York City. We'll catch you next time on the MMM Podcast.